Good morning. <clears throat> You'll have to bear with me this morning, like many of you. I got outside yesterday and enjoyed the incredible weather, and I'm sure like many of you now, I'm paying for it with allergies that are racking my body. So <clears throat> if I cough a little bit of clamor, though, just bear with me today. Um, but I would love to uh, pray, and then we'll jump into our text for this morning. So if you'd all please join me in, in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the gift of another day and for the blessing of gathering with our fellow believers in order to worship you. Today is also a special day as we remember and celebrate the mothers in our lives. Motherhood is a beautiful and a sacred gift. It's an awesome and humbling responsibility. It's a profound relationship like no other. And we thank you, God, for the mothers in our lives. Whether they gave birth to us or have unofficially uh, yet lovingly, sacrificially acted as mother and our mothers in our lives, or if they've adopted us, we give you thanks for these women who have been our protectors, our providers, our counselors, and our fiercest advocates. We have been blessed and forever changed by their love and their kindness and their wisdom. God, we pray for those who have lost their mothers, asking that you comfort them today. We pray for those who never knew or had the opportunity to be close with their mothers, asking that you lift their spirits with the assurance that you know their sorrow and you will not leave them alone. We pray for those who long to be mothers, asking that you meet their longings with grace and peace and understanding. We pray for those who are mothers but who are far from their children, asking that you bring peace to their weariness and heartache and bless them with the renewed connection of that relationship soon. However we may celebrate today, God, give us the ability to share words of true love with the mothers in our lives. Bless us with a chance to pass blessing on to the women who have changed our lives with their love, and ultimately remind us to lift words of gratitude to you, Heavenly Father, for the blessings of moms and grandmoms and strong, wonderful, wise women that you've blessed us to know. As we turn to your word this morning, please set our hearts on things above and our minds on your truth. Let the scriptures we read today change us and transform us and make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning we'll be returning to uh, Colossians and uh, from chapter 1, starting in verse 9, I will read uh, our text for this morning and then we'll, we'll turn to God's word together. <clears throat> but again, this is Colossians chapter 1. I will begin in verse 9 and be going through to verse 14. At verse 9, it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> I, uh, I once came across a quote um, that I thought was really pretty interesting, kind of stuck out to me as pretty interesting from an art curator. As a professional curator, her primary job was, you know, to go out and find and purchase and sell and present great works of art for, for her clients. And so she, spent her, she spends her days uh, searching the entire world for, for beautiful paintings and, and just great sketches, unique creations. 
But when asked to describe what she loved about her work, she, she gave part of her answer was, was pretty surprising. She had said, one of my favorite parts of my job is taking pieces to frame. I'm often amazed at how the presentation of artwork can affect the piece positively or even make the piece look bad. Experience has taught me that showcasing a work of art is almost as important as selecting the piece itself. When selecting a work of art to be hung on a wall, the frame must not be overlooked. Do you realize how much the right or wrong frame can affect the overall appearance of the art, changing the experience and the, and the emotion which the collector is striving for in placing the work in that specific location? Instead of an afterthought, a frame must truly be considered as important as the work itself. And this idea that, that the frame is just important as the work itself continued to come to my mind as I read Colossians 1, uh, verses 9 through 14 this week. In this passage, the Apostle Paul describes the life of a believer, what the life of a believer of Jesus should look like. He says in verse 10 that a Christian should be committed to things like good works and, and eager to learn more about God, that they should be characterized by endurance and patience and joyfully be, give, be thankful to God for all that he has done. Paul paints this beautiful word picture of people striving to live lives worthy of the Son of God, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And it's easy to read a passage like this and focus only on those commands of how to live. But in doing so, we miss out on the importance of what Paul says must come first in, if we are to pursue this life well lived. In verses 10 through 12, Paul may have curated for us a good picture of the Christian life, but that picture sits within the frame that should not be overlooked. Our perception and understanding of the life we want to live is greatly affected by what Paul calls the knowledge of the will of God. Because we need the structure and the support of, the, of this knowledge in order to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way. So what, what was it that Paul was praying for for these, for these Christians in, Coloss in Colossae to know in order for them to do the sort of things that, that Christians needed to do? And how does this prayer for them, and the hope that he, hopes, that he has for them, how does it impact our lives as well today? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now last week, Pastor Brian got us started in our series on Colossians, and as he did so, he gave kind of a brief summary of the history and, and some of the circumstances surrounding this letter. And I won't repeat everything that Brian pointed out. If, if you want a review of that, all, all of our sermons are posted online. But there are two very important things to remember as we move into considering the challenges the Colossians were facing. The first is that the city of Colossae, the ancient city of Colossae, sat at the intersection of, of two major Roman trade highways. Right? It, it, it was a city that was built on, on two major highways that people went back and forth on all the time. And this means that for a time, this city was an extremely well-traveled and diverse place. So it is unsurprising that Colossae was also known for being full of competing religions and worldviews and philosophies. And it was this diversity of thought and belief that was causing problems for the, for the Colossian Christians. Later in the letter, we will see <clears throat> that Paul warns his readers of being led astray by false teachers who insisted that the Colossians needed to, to add more to what they believed. They had told the Colossians that the gospel they had learned from these Christian ministers, specifically a man named Epaphras, according to these teachers, that gospel was not enough. Jesus is not enough. 
If they really wanted to know the truth, these teachers said that the Colossians needed to do more than what, needed more than what God had to give. They needed to do more than what they had been taught from the gospel. And this is often the sort of message that, that we hear and receive from the world, isn't it? We are told that what we know and what we think and what we believe, it's, it's just not enough. Following just one God or, or hoping in just one gospel is too exclusive, it's too narrow-minded. We're told that it's arrogant for Christians to claim that we know the truth, and we hear that if we really want to be loving, we need to be open to just about everything. Well, Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians to push back against arguments like these. In verses 1 through 8, he had told his readers that when he prays for them, he, 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 uh, he prays always and he thanks God for their faith and their ongoing confidence in the gospel. And then in, in verses 1 through 14, he gets specific about what exactly is the content of that prayer that he raised. And I think as we will see, that what those believers 2,000 years ago needed to hear and needed to do in order to seek, uh, seek God faithfully, we also need to do today. We need to be convinced of the truth that we find in Scripture and have confidence in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I have every confidence that Jesus is indeed enough. I believe that we really do have everything in Christ. So after Paul says in verses 1 through 8 that he's heard great things about the faith of the believers in Colossae, he goes on in verse 9 to say, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, that phrase, we have not stopped praying for you, is one of those little phrases that you come across in Scripture that sometimes makes Christians feel a little bit uh, sheepish about their, own, about their own prayer life. But I think it's safe to say that Paul wasn't telling the Colossians that he was always praying for them every moment of every day, because after all, he had to take at least some time to pause and, and write this letter. Instead, Paul assures the Colossians that during his time of prayer, he always remembers them and asks God to enrich their hearts and minds with greater knowledge of who he is and, and, and what God is up to on their behalf. Now, we won't, I won't spend time any, uh, a whole lot of time on this point, but I do want to point out and just make sure that it's worth noting that Paul felt it was extremely important to pray for his fellow believers. He knew that persistent prayer for his brothers and sisters in Christ was crucial. Interceding for one another is both an expression of our love for each other and of our trust in a God who listens and responds to our prayers. And so what was it that Paul was asking God on behalf of the Colossians? It says that he, he prayed that we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will <clears throat> through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Which really, if, if you look at it, it's kind of a mouthful. There's a lot going on in that request, and so we want to break it down a little bit. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The knowledge of God's will can mean one of two things. Paul could be saying that I'm praying for you to be filled with what the knowledge of God wants from you. All right, he could be saying, I'm praying for you to be filled with the knowledge of what God wants from you, what he wants you to do, how he wants you to act, and what he wants you to understand so that you can be obedient to his expectations. That's one, one way to interpret this phrase, the knowledge of God's will. The other way is, is that Paul could be saying, I am praying for you to be filled with the knowledge of what God wants for you, what he's already done on your behalf. 
and for you to understand what God has accomplished for you, especially in the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So it could be what God wants from you or what God wants for you. And deciding between these two interpretations is, is very tricky. Both of the ideas are, are very biblical. But in my opinion, right, right here, what Paul is talking about, I think the second one fits better. Paul is praying for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of all God has done for them. Paul is praying for the knowledge, for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of all God has done for them, to have a deep and abiding understanding of the truth that God wanted to save, wants to save humanity from sin and death, and that he did exactly that through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul didn't care if the Colossians knew how to live good, obedient lives. He's about to get to that right, right away in verse 10. But it does mean that Paul knew that it was crucial it was crucial for the Christians in Colossae to have their faith founded on and framed by this incredible truth that it is God's will, it's God's desire, it's God's sovereign decree for salvation to be offered to those who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. What God has done for you is the foundation and the framework of the entire Christian faith. We don't ask ourselves the question, what must I do to get God to do something for me? We shape our lives around the conviction, what must I do now that I know that God has already done everything for me? But before we go any further, we need to be sure that we catch how Paul says this knowledge comes to us, because it's not something we just acquire on our own. We can't fill ourselves with the truth of what God has done for us. Instead, we receive this knowledge from a very, from a very specific and a very special source. It says we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives the Holy Spirit is our source for this knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding that we need to have in order to know God's will. The process, if we want to know the, and know, be able to know and be able to process his love for us, to fully grasp how much he's done for us, it is the gift of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that makes that possible, that allows us to navigate the competing worldviews and philosophies of this world trying to tell us that God is not enough. In light of all this, I think we need to ask an incredibly important question. And that question is, to what extent does the knowledge of God's will shape your life? To what extent does the knowledge of God's will shape your life? How much does the realization that God, what God wants for you is life, he wants you to have life and life abundantly, free of pain and sorrow and death, how much does this impact the kind of person you want to be? The kind of life you seek to live? Does the gospel change and transform who you are? Or is it just a story? A story that you know, competing for a place of influence in your heart and your soul and your mind? This is a question I think that both believers and non-believers can ask of themselves. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then you can do a quick mental and, and spiritual inventory. Does the gospel truth shape how you understand and interact with the world? If someone looked at you and looked at, at what you worship or, or hopefully who you worship, and if they looked in, and saw how you treated others, if they looked at you and saw the quality of your relationships, the topics of your conversation, the character of your social media posts, 
would they think that is someone whose life is shaped by something powerful and good? Or would they think that's someone whose life is shaped by this world and its fickle little values? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd still encourage you to think about how your life might be shaped if you believed that a good God truly loves you. The hope of the Christian message is that God so loves you that he sacrificed everything in order to save you from the worst things of this world. Even death is overcome by God. So how might your life change if you discovered that this promise was really and wonderfully true. Paul's prayer was that the knowledge of God's will, what he truly wants for the people he loves, that this knowledge would fill the Colossians in such a way that they would never be the same. And I would pray the same for us. May the Holy Spirit make clear to us what God has done for us. May the Holy Spirit make clear to us what God has done for us. Because if he does, then we can go on to live the kind of life that Paul then describes in the next few verses. Again, in verse 10, Paul wrote that he was praying for the Colossians to have this knowledge of God's will so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Our knowledge of what God wants for us and what he's already done for us should inspire us to live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, back in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul had made it clear that the Lord was a title he was assigning to Jesus. So Paul's argument here is simple. We're on the right path when our character and our actions and our attitudes most closely resemble that of Christ. We want to be like Jesus. And in the following verses, Paul suggests a few ways we can do just that. Now, I do think it's important to note that the habits and hallmarks that Paul talks about, these four things that Paul brings up here in verses 10 through 12, They're not the complete picture of what it means to be a Christian or or, or to live a Christian life. Most likely, these these things that Paul highlights here are the things that the Colossians were struggling with the most. And we'll follow along with his list this morning and consider just these four, but remember that all of Scripture has lots more to say about what it means to have a character consistent with that of Christ. So what might the life of someone who lived with full of the understanding from the Holy Spirit of what God has done for them, what what might that life look like? Well, Paul outlines four traits of good, godly Christian conduct. First, he says we must be bearing fruit in every good work. In light of all God has done for us, the only fitting it's only fitting that we should be people committed to good works. But these good deeds and and, and quality efforts must not be done with grumbling or with hearts full of bitterness. Our good works are to be accompanied by and indeed flow from an inner life of fruit. And and pretty much any time you come across that phrase in Scripture, it's talking about, it's alluding to these virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, among others. If you looked back and, and, and flipped through the Gospels and saw all these good deeds that Jesus did, you, you'd also notice, notice something pretty amazing. 
they are always accompanied by, anything Jesus did was always accompanied by compassion and kindness for the recipient. Jesus never said, all right, I healed you, now go away and leave me alone. All right, he never rolled his eyes while listening to the needs of others or whined while, while turning a few fish into a feast that could feed 5,000. In every one of his actions, he bore beautiful spiritual fruit that only enriched the blessings and the lives of others. And that's our model. We're to do good work, but we're, we ought to be bearing good fruit as well. Paul also says we should be growing in the knowledge of God. When you know something good, doesn't it make you want to know more about that something? The knowledge of who God is and what God has done for us is like exploring the ocean or surveying the stars. You'll never see all of it, and you're always going to find something new every time you look. It's why we encourage the rhythms of things like prayer and reading your Bibles and having spiritual conversations in your life groups or in your church communities. There is always something more to learn about God. For over 2,000 years, Christians have been studying and talking about and writing books about God. And for thousands of years before that, the Hebrews did the same thing, and we still have only scratched the surface of everything that he is. A commitment to growing in the knowledge of God is one of the most rewarding, fruitful practices you can pursue in your everyday life, but you should do it in the way that, that best suits you and in the way that, that God has made you. For example, I am someone who loves studying. All right, if you give me a stack of old books with, with a bunch of dead languages and, uh, and a bunch of huge theological words, I'm, I'm a happy camper. And I will just sit there all day and I'll, I'll pour through those books looking for those new little theological nuggets that I can learn and, and grow my faith through. My wife, on the other hand, could not imagine a worse way to connect with the creator of all things. For her, studying or, or having quiet time, having time with the Lord needs to involve things like, like painting or drawing or, or singing songs or having good, deep conversations with friends. And both ways are incredibly legitimate and good ways to grow closer to the Lord. You might enjoy some of these things or, or you might enjoy and connect with God in a completely different way. The important thing is to spend the time to discover what helps you grow in the knowledge of God. And then enjoy that as often as you can. The third thing Paul said was to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you can have great endurance and patience. And this is a really interesting one because if you miss the verb that conditions this entire clause, you'll miss the point entirely. We need strength in order to have the endurance and patience necessary to be followers of Jesus in a world that is still very opposed to his gospel. But where does that strength come from? It's not the strength of our own will or the might of our own fists. The only way that we can find the strength that we need to is to acknowledge humbly that it must be given, given to us and provided by God. Paul says that Christians are being strengthened passively from another source according to God's glorious might. We are to rely on the strength and the endurance and the patience God gives us day by day. And if you wonder about how are we then supposed to spend this strength that we're given, remember that we are striving after a life worthy of or imit in imitation of Jesus Christ. His strength was spent for the good of others. His strength was, was spent sacrificially on the cross. We are to be people 
strong in sacrifice and powerful in love. The fourth thing Paul outlined was that we are to be giving joyful thanks to the Father. And I know a little bit more now about what it means to give joyful thanks to a father because I have a two-year-old. And let me tell you, it's very obvious when the difference between when she feels obligated or told to give thanks about something and when she wants to. Because when Abby wants to say thank you, it is with a joyous, genuine, smiling, full-hearted explosion of gratitude. And while I don't expect all of you to, you know, hop around the room and clasp your hands to your cheeks and say thank you to God, I do think it would be good for our hearts if we were a little bit more childlike with our gratitude for God's love and mercy and grace. Giving thanks to the God who loves us should be a celebration of the heart. It should be something that's lovely. And it's something that I know I need to work on. And perhaps you feel you do as well. So again, it was bear fruit in good works. Grow in the knowledge of God. Humbly accept God's gifts of strength for God's purposes of strength. And give joyful thanks. Four pretty big ideas that Paul outlines here. And my suggestion to you would be that you prayerly, prayerfully consider these four habits of a life worth living, of how to live worthy of Jesus. And then maybe pick one, or if you're feeling really ambitious, maybe pick two to work on this summer. For me, I know that I have to work on accepting God's strength and not trying to do too much or prove too much on my own. That's what I'll be thinking about as we move through the, this, uh, this letter of Colossians. I'll leave, you, I'll leave which one for, that you need to pick, at, for, I'll leave which one you're trying to pick to the discernment that you have between uh, you and the Lord. But this summer, as we study Colossians, Paul is going to have more to say about each of these ideas. So I would take this invitation seriously. You can grow in these areas. And in doing so, you will grow closer to the God who loves you. And before we wrap up this passage, we need to notice one more thing. Paul doesn't leave his readers with this, this quick list of, of spiritual self-improvement. He is careful to remind us that it, all of this is only possible because of the work and the love and the awesome victory of Jesus Christ. And verse 12 it says that the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Everything we've talked about this morning is made possible and worthy of pursuit only because of everything we have in Christ a rescue from darkness, a new home in God's kingdom, and redemption thanks to the forgiveness of our sins. It is always, always because of this gospel. It is always only because of everything we have in the good news of Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit make clear to us all that God has done for us in Christ so that we will seek to live lives worthy of Jesus who loves us. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the knowledge of all you have done for us. Thank you for the gift of the knowledge of how much you love us, how much you gave for us, how much you sacrificed for us. And Lord, may it be that in response to this incredible message, in response to this incredible truth, we change our lives 
that we are transformed into people who do good works with, with bearing good fruit, with love and patience and kindness for all around us, who pursue uh, good things with our life, who give joyful thanks, who are strengthened by you and use that strength for the good of others. Father, please lead us in doing that this summer as we stu- continue to study your book of Colossians. But even just today and going into this week, teach us which of these that we should be aware of and, 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 and pursuing and growing so that we may get to know you better. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. If you're able, let's stand together. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name in through the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living Silence, the 
that again. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very
to give. There's a couple ways that you can do that. As you leave the room, there's two offering boxes right as you, before you exit the doors, you can give that way. You can also give on our website, the give page. You can also give through the church uh, center app. And so there's a few ways for you to do that. And just to remind ourselves that our giving is an act of worship, I'm going to lead us in this prayer that'll be on the screen. So let's pray this out loud together today. Holy Father, There is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until